Welcome to the Yukon RUF podcast. RUF at Yukon is a ministry that relies completely on the financial support of churches and individuals like you in order to serve the Yukon community. You can support RUF at Yukon by going to ruf.org slash Yukon. Guys, welcome again to RUF. It's good to be with you tonight. Uh, this is the halfway point of the semester, so congratulations to you guys for making it halfway. Um, this semester in U- at RUF, uh, we always look at a passage of the Bible, and we've been doing this series where we're looking uh, at just aspects of life that the Bible addresses that are common to us, and we've called it uh, All of Life Belongs to God, and we spent several weeks talking about relationships, uh, since those are just something that we think and talk about a lot, and uh, last week we looked at the topic of anxiety, and uh, tonight we're going to look at the topic of guilt, and I want us to think about what do we do with our guilt? And you, as when you think about guilt, you might think of kind of like the day-to-day variety of guilt. Uh, but I, what I want to kind of hone in on is uh, the guilt that stems from maybe that one time where we lost control and or that time when maybe an hour later or the next day or the next week we thought, Oh no, like what was that? Uh, where, actual, where we did actual damage, uh, like it was done by us, and where there are consequences to what we've done, and what it's like then to kind of live life in light of being people that uh, do things like that. And thankfully in the Bible, there's this amazing story of King David Uh, that kind of guides us as we think about this in our lives. Because King David was like God's man. Like if there was anyone in the Bible who you would be like, yes, he is in, he's got it, God chose him, he's the man, God used him, it would be King David. Uh, For instance, in the story of David and Goliath, when God used David to save his people from the Philistines, or when he established David as the king over Israel and said, you will have an eternal kingdom. You know, like there will be a descendant of you on the throne forever in my, among my people. Uh, and that David uh, also did some really awful things. And there's this one episode, uh, we're going to read this psalm tonight, but I want to give you the backstory of the psalm. Because the thing that... Uh, made this psalm happen is that David, who was king, uh, one day, and this is in the book of 2 Samuel chapter 11, so you could read that another time, but I'll summarize it for you, that uh, there was one day when he was out on his balcony or something, and he saw this woman Bathsheba, and she was bathing on her rooftop, and he thought, well, I'm the king, and uh, so I want that, and so he summoned Bathsheba, and uh, despite the fact that she was the wife of one of his loyal, most loyal soldiers, this man named Uriah the Hittite, uh, he took her and he had sex with her. And uh, meanwhile, Uriah, his loyal, so that would be called, let's call that betrayal and possibly sexual assault uh, because Uriah was his best, one of his best soldiers who was loyal to him. 
And uh, if that weren't bad enough, David starts to think about how he can, he's like, how can I cover this up? And what he realizes that he needs to do is have Uriah actually killed. And so Uriah, so David uh, plans it so that Uriah, one of his most loyal soldiers, gets put into battle. And he tells his generals, you know, like, at this key point in the battle, I want you all to pull back so that Uriah will die. We would call that, I don't know, murder, right? So David is not only an adulterer and not only a betrayer, but he's a murderer. And uh, David, it actually takes David a while to realize what he's done. And it only really happens through the fact that this prophet that God sends Nathan, his name is Nathan, kind of tells David, he's like, you know, this is what you've done. And uh, David reaches that point where he's like, oh no, what have I done? Uh, He finally sees uh, just the horror of what he has done. And so in response to that, he writes this psalm. And so I'll read it for us now. It says, To the choir master, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from all from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken heart, a a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then will you delight in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. Okay, there's a lot there. Let's pray again as we uh, begin to examine it. Uh, Father, would you guide us now? Make sense of this psalm to us. Uh, Use it uh, to change us, Lord. Uh, Work it into our heart, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, thanks again. Thank you, Christiana, for taking up the clicker. I forgot about that. Um, I want to, would you actually advance it to the next slide? I want to show you guys someone. Uh, anybody know who this is? There's no reason you would, I don't think. <laughs> um, his name is Oscar Grinning. And Oscar Groening is a man who was an accountant at Auschwitz, the concentration camp, uh, during the Holocaust. He was the one who counted the money 
that was taken off the Jewish people when they were brought, and he dispersed the money that they took from these people uh, before they were killed or put to work. And uh, Oscar Groening was put in prison a couple years ago at the age of 96 uh, for what he did during the Holocaust. And uh, I don't know if you're aware of this, but there's, there are groups of people that their mission still today is to bring to justice those who did atrocities during the Holocaust. And so uh, Oscar Groening, despite the fact that in the 1980s and onward, he kind of was an advocate for uh, proving that the Holocaust was real and that it was awful, and he's the reason we know a lot about what happened in Auschwitz, uh, eventually uh, he was arrested and brought to trial, and now he's in prison. Um, because no matter how much you do after working at Auschwitz, it never goes away, right? Guilt does not just go away. Um, and so this guy will probably die in prison. Uh, there's a lot of ways we try to make ourselves clean when we've done something wrong. I traveled to Portugal one time with my family, uh, and we visited a cathedral in Portugal where uh, it was this place where it was, it was uh, people said that the Virgin Mary had appeared there one time, and so people uh, came, and there was this long... Uh, cement pathway leading up to the church and what people would do is that they would get on their knees and they would walk scoot along the path on their knees as a way of atoning for their guilt and it was it was this like rite of passage and we were there on a freezing cold day it was cold and rainy and I watched as these people scooted across the pavement on their knees hoping that it might take away some of their guilt uh, so just some, is there anything I can do to get rid of what I've done? Uh, Martin Luther, one of the most famous people in all of church history, was this way. Uh, he was like, I need to do something to get rid of my guilt. And so what can I do? Maybe I'll become a monk. And so Martin Luther became like the monk to end all monks. You know, like the most serious one of all. Uh, until, you know, like he went crazy with it because his guilt was too much for him. I heard a pastor once say, you can't rest if you're being harassed by your conscience. Um, I wonder what that's like for you. Maybe you don't try to cover your guilt in a religious way so much, but maybe guilt is the reason you feel like you have to get everything else about life just right. Or maybe guilt is the reason that your life has to be so, 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 so tidy so that no one might ever suspect that there might be something dirty underneath uh, your clean exterior. Or maybe guilt is the reason that you can just never rest in life. Uh, guilt can be a big part of life. Uh, guilt can drive us in all kinds of directions that are not good. And so I want to just use the psalm. You can go ahead to the next slide. Thank you, Christiana. Um, to just kind of think through the question, what do we do with our guilt? Like, what do we do when we have a moment like David had uh, and what I want us to see and that we learn from the psalm that he wrote in response to being kind of convicted of his sin is that uh, what we do, what we need to do with our guilt is begins with honest confession, and then it moves to a plea for mercy, 
And the result of it is confident worship. And so I want to kind of look at those three things. And the first is honest confession. And what we can't miss in this psalm is that David doesn't gloss over what he's done at all. Uh, you know, in verse 2 he says, Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Iniquity isn't really a word we use anymore, but like what it means is the grossness of sin. It's like, you know, the ooh quality of sin. And he goes on to say, wash me thoroughly. Like he, uh, he says, wash me thoroughly. And it's this verb that's usually used for like laundry. Uh, so he's kind of in a way comparing himself to like a dirty garment. Uh, there's no cover up in what he's saying. There's no denial. There's no blame on anyone else but him. As opposed to say like all the public apologies we usually see on TV and in the news, right? Have you ever heard one of those where someone like apologizes and they say things like, uh, mistakes were made, and at the end of it you're like, that was not an apology. Like, you, that, you basically said nothing, and uh, you tried to make it right, right? Uh, David, on the other hand, is like, this is radical honesty. Uh, he's just coming clean entirely before God. And what I want us to see is that he also directs his confession primarily toward God. Uh, in verse 4 here, he says, against you and you alone have I sinned. I wonder how, you, how that struck you. You know, because I think part of, we want to kind of be like, wait a second. No, you killed a guy. Like you sinned against him and you sinned against her. Uh, but the point that's being made is that uh, the offense of all sin is greatest to God. Uh, the bottom line, if you will, at the end of the day, is that when we sin, uh, it's most offensive to God. Uh, you know, I have a daughter and a son. That's kind of how I thought of it. You know, like, they're uh, three and almost one. And so little kids, right? Uh, people don't really, like, offend them or hurt them very often. But if they did, what would I want? Justice. Yeah. I would, I would want for them, you know, like, you're going to apologize to them, but you're going to apologize to me. Because I'm their dad, and they belong to me, and they don't really understand what happened, but I do. So you will apologize. If you hurt them, you will apologize to me. Um, okay, so he, that's what David's doing. He's, a, he's directing his confession to God, but at the same time, he locates the problem within himself. Uh, in verse 5, we see that where he says, I, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity. It's a way of saying, like, I'm the problem. Uh, this is who I am, actually. This wasn't like a fluke. This came out of me because this is who I am. I wonder, is anybody here at UConn when the mac and cheese kid made headlines back in the day? A few, few, few of the older people, right? Uh, this, I think this was three years ago, right? Um, UConn was in the news. There was this viral video that came out because this one student just downstairs here in the student union uh, showed up drunk late at night in the U demanding mac and cheese. And he was verbally abusing the employees who wouldn't serve him because of how inebriated he was. And it got to the point where he got physical with one and so they tackled him on the ground and he, they got him arrested and it became national news. Like people, like I have a friend who lives in Alabama who called me up and was like, I heard about this mac and cheese kid, like what is the deal? Um, and so it was national news and uh, shortly after that, uh, 
everyone was talking about it. He released a video apology on YouTube. And I don't know if you see, I'm not sure if it's even still up, but one of the things that really struck me about it was when he apologized, he said, you know, I watched that video and I don't really even know who that was. And that was the wrong thing to say, according to this. Because what he should have said is, that is me. Like, what happened that day is because that's what I'm like when my guard is let down. That's like, that happened because that's what I'm like. Uh, you know, and by the way, it was amazing the backlash he got, like, you know, for all he did, but like the people were ruthless with him. Like people on the internet, people at UConn were just like, what is wrong with this kid? Oh, he's the worst, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, we see this a lot now because there's so much uh, in the news about people who did gross kind of sexual assault things and, uh, and the way they're judged is just really, you know, there's all these voices saying, ew, disgusting, how could you? I would never do that. And we need to be careful when we think and act that way. Uh, one writer that I read this week put it this way. He said, if you, if you begin to say, oh, but I could never do that, fill in the blank, then you've already taken the first step in your fall. Don't ever be surprised at what you're capable of. Christians are people, in other words, that when they see the worst sins on display, think, that could so easily be me. Christians are people that are not surprised by sin. Uh, and so that's what David now understands, that he's gone through this episode. So that's, that's uh, honest confession. But what I want to move on to see is his plea now for mercy. Uh, and what we just need to see, like, in general, is that God is attracted to cries for mercy. I'm a big fan of the show Shark Tank. Anybody a Shark Tank fan? A couple of Shark Tank fans on ABC. If you don't know what it is, it's the show where uh, there's these four sharks. They're like multi-multi-millionaires uh, that have been so successful in business. And the contestants on the show pitch their business to the sharks and try to get the sharks uh, people like Mark Cuban and others to like invest in their business. And so it's this reality show and you present your business and they often ask like about the number, how much have you sold? Over what period of time? What are your plans for the future? And you can always tell when the show is going bad because you know it, it starts to go bad for these contestants and they start kind of floundering out there in the shark tank. And you know the sharks are pointing out things that are wrong with the business, and you always know it's going bad when they sit. And the sharks are like, "Why didn't you do this? Why didn't you do that? Why are your sales so low?" And the people, this happens all the time. They say, "That's why I need you guys." And the sharks hate that. They hate when people say that. It's like the worst thing you could possibly say in the Shark Tank because they don't want to fix you or your business. They want to make money off of you. They're investors. They don't want to have a project that's going to like take up their time out of the goodness of their heart. Okay? What you need to know is that God is not like the sharks in Shark Tank. Thank goodness. Uh, God is the type of God who loves, cries for mercy. He's attracted to them. Uh, last semester when we looked at the parables, we looked at this one parable, the Pharisee and the tax collector, where uh, he we compared two different prayers and one of the, the Pharisee prayed like, oh, these are all the good things I do, God. And all the tax collector could say is, God, have mercy on me. 
Jesus said, that's the guy who's good with me. That's the guy I want. No. Um, okay, so moving on. In verses 6 through 12, then, uh, he says, cleanse and restore me, in other words. Uh, in verse 7, he says, purge me. And it's this word that means descend me. Uh, we don't use it often, and, but it means, like, what it literally means in the Hebrew is descend me. David, in other words, is saying, demurder me, de adultery me. Uh, because I know I, this is something, what I've done, you, I cannot take back. I cannot fix. There is a dead person here. Uh, he says, cleanse me with hyssop, which was this plant that was used to cleanse lepers. Um, in verse 9, he says, blot out uh, my transgressions. It's this word that means, like, erase them. Erase, like, like from a book, just get rid of them. In other words, one of the main differences between how Christians deal with guilt and how everyone else does is that Christians are people that have given up on themselves. Uh, my dad is, a, is Brazilian, uh, so I'm half Brazilian. I was, I'm a dual citizen, actually, and my mom is American. And uh, My dad, if, many years back now, became an American citizen after living in the U.S. for long enough. And when my dad went to get citizenship, uh, you have to like uh, interview with a caseworker, and they ask you questions, and you have to be able to be, speak English well enough. You don't have to speak it perfectly, but like well enough to converse with the caseworker, and they ask you questions like, "Why do you want to be a citizen?" and tell us a little bit about yourself and that kind of thing. And so my dad did that, and while he was there, this like uh, there was this like ruckus uh, in the place, and what was going on is there was another man, an e- Egyptian man, who was also trying to get citizenship. And the caseworker who was working with him was like, okay, so tell me about yourself. And he kept on responding by saying, God bless America. God bless George Washington. And they'd be like, okay, like, well, what do you do for work? And he'd be like, God bless America. God bless George Washington. And, and they were like, we, you know, we can't. You, that's not good enough. Like, you can't become a citizen. And, and they were, so him and his family were getting really mad. Uh, okay, what you need to see is that what that man looked like that day is what we look like when we say to God things like, I can fix this. Or, I can make it up to you. Or, when we make our life about looking so good uh, so that we can cover up the mess that's really underneath. I wonder, how are you trying to make it up to God today? How are you trying to l- live your life uh, so that uh, God will be pleased with you? How are you living like you believe in karma instead of mercy? And how is it wearing you out? How is it taking away all your joy? Uh, if you're guilty, the only thing that can fix you is to cry out for mercy. At verse 10, David actually says, Create in me a clean heart, O God. Uh, and it's a way, and by saying that, he's asking for a miracle. Because only God creates in the Bible. He's saying, God, I need a whole new, I need you to work a miracle in my life to change me. And so how does God do it? The answer comes about a thousand years later when God actually enters the world. And he becomes a man and he's put on trial. Jesus is actually... Like, he's put on trial, and he's examined, and he's found guilty, even though no one can find one thing that he's done wrong. 
And the end of that story is that he's crucified between two criminals. Why? So that he could de-murder us. So that he could de-adultery us. In a miracle of grace, he takes our place. And so our guilt goes away because he bears it. It's not there anymore. Justice has no hold on us anymore. It can't track us down when we're 96 years old and make us pay. So that's the plea for mercy. But what I want to close in thinking about is the worship and the confidence that results. Uh, Did you notice how quickly in this psalm David moves from confessing his horrible sins to realizing that God can use him? In verse 3, he says, my sin is ever before me. In verse 13, 10 verses later, he says, I can teach people about you. In verse 15, he says, I want to praise you. Okay, this is a big idea here. The way you can tell if you've actually taken your guilt to God and been shown his mercy is if the result is a desire to worship him and a desire for God to use you. Worship becomes a response to God's mercy rather than a way to encounter him. Um, You know, in verses 16 and 17, there's this discussion about sacrifices. And, uh, you know, it's this way of saying it's not about what you do in worship so much as it's about the heart that you bring to worship. A heart that's been changed by mercy. Uh, I wonder, you know, I think for some of us, worship is dry a lot of the time. And I just want to suggest to you that if worship is dry for you, the idea of worshiping or uh, being with God's people, worshiping, uh, if that's dry to you, I can almost guarantee that you're missing something here in terms of uh, your guilt and God's mercy. Uh, I can almost guarantee that it's been a long time since you truly and honestly laid out your sin before this God and received his mercy. Because if you do, worship will spring out of you. Uh, If you'll honestly confess uh, your sins before God, and if you do have nothing going for you except his mercy, then what I want to tell you today is that God wants to use you. He wants you, if this is you, he wants you to be the person to show mercy to people. He wants you to be the person to show Jesus to people, to show people God is merciful. He's not what the tyrant that you think he is, that God can take guilt away and he can give true rest. God, this God can set you free. And you know who God doesn't want to use? People that think that they don't need help. People that have a lot of confidence in themselves. Because David has a lot of confidence here at the end of this psalm, doesn't he? But it's a humble confidence. And it's all through the psalm, actually, because in verse 1 he says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Uh, It's like one writer says, For all his unworthiness, David knows that he still belongs. It's like he's saying, I know who I truly am, but I know who you truly are. And I know that I can count on you to make me clean. So I want to close by asking you tonight, will you allow this God to take away your guilt? Will you allow this God to set you free? Uh, Let's close in prayer.
Uh, Father, we, you know how quick we are to cover uh, things that make us feel bad about ourselves, to hide in ways that are foolish, and uh, ultimately to run from you, uh, like David did for a while. And we pray that uh, by your grace and by your mercy, you would draw us to yourself, uh, that you would give us grace uh, to confess honestly who we are and what we've done, and, but that it wouldn't stop there, uh, that it would culminate in, exper- in an experience of your mercy, Lord. Pray that you would be uh, at work to transform our hearts by your mercy, and that we would, like David, uh, proclaim your goodness and proclaim your love. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.